This afternoon I preach to you the Word of God as He's revealed it to us in the Ten Commandments. It's the third commandment as it's also confessed by the Church in Lord's Day 36 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is found on page 553 in the Book of Praise. The third commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The church confesses in Lord's Day 36, what is required in the third commandment? We are not to blaspheme or to abuse the name of God by cursing perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor to share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence, so that we may rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. But is the blaspheming of God's name by swearing and cursing such a grievous sin that God is angry also with those who do not prevent and forbid it as much as they can? Certainly, for no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming of his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, The third commandment takes its starting point from the fact that people are image bearers of the one true God. In His grace, God gave us the honor of bearing His name so that everyone is called to reflect the glory of His name in all our words and works. The third commandment requires God's creatures to be faithful in the use of His name so that God's name is not blasphemed by us, because of us, or even while we're standing nearby and able to do something to prevent it. Understanding that misrepresenting the invisible God on earth is tantamount to attacking God and removing Him from our lives on the earth, we even confess that no sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than the blaspheming Of his name. The third commandment, he will not hold us guiltless who takes his name in vain. When we look for Jesus' instruction concerning the third commandment in the Sermon on the Mount, we find that he focuses our attention on the positive requirement of the commandment. Jesus' teaching that his disciples are salt and light, salt in the earth and light of the world, is connected to our confession that we must use the name of God only with fear and reverence so that we might rightly confess Him, call upon Him, and praise Him in all our words and works. This underlying principle of the third commandment is that people around us must be able to learn about the glory of God's name by our lives as we express our sincere love for the Lord in all our words and in all our works. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, citizens of the kingdom of heaven glorify God's name in words and works. It's because they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus distinguishes Christians from the world by calling Christians the salt of the earth. Our Lord doesn't tell his disciples that they need to become salt, but that they are already, that they already are salt. And whether we always recognize it or not, the Lord God has given us the potential and the ability to make a difference. The gospel starting point of Jesus' teaching is that God has equipped his chosen people by granting us his Holy Spirit so that we desire to live a life that is pleasing to God. Like the third commandment, also our Lord Jesus announces that whoever believes in him now bears the name of the Lord like a mark that defines who we are in the eyes of the world. In his grace and power, the Lord has made us salt. And the third commandment, explained by our Lord Jesus, reveals to us what it means to be salt of the earth. The metaphor that is used in Matthew 5 hinges on the understanding that salt is a blessing. We can see what our Lord Jesus means when we think about the different ways that salt is used. Now due to the warm climate they lived in, Jesus' hearers probably weren't thinking of how useful salt is as an ice melt, but they would have known of other beneficial uses for salt. For those who lived without fridges and freezers in their homes, the usefulness of salt in preventing decay and in preserving food, and also the usefulness of salt in adding flavor to the food, these uses would have been well known to the hearers that Jesus was speaking to. And so when Jesus said that his disciples are salt, he announced that God's work in their lives had made them a blessing to people around them, as long as they remained faithful in their task of representing God's name in their lives. Perhaps rephrasing the third commandment, our Lord Jesus commands us not to lose our saltiness. Do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not lose your saltiness is a command not to active or not to it's a command to actively represent God's majesty his will his purpose and his love to the world not to stop being a blessing to those around you the word earth in Matthew 5 verse 13 refers to the place where we live we see that when Christ calls Christians the salt of the earth, he wants us to think about our relationships to the people around us. On its own, a salt in the salt shaker or in that white box with the flip-out spout, salt doesn't do anything. But rub it into the moose hide or mix it in with your food, put it down on top of ice, and then by mixing it into something you can enjoy its value. People who bear the name of the Lord are valuable and good for something in their environment when they are mixed in with the people around them. And with this thought in our minds, we can see that our text is primarily addressed to individual Christians in their daily lives rather than to the church as a body, which is called to the task of preaching the gospel to all people without any 
partiality without taking any particular political or economic stand for itself. While the church remains a separate entity as a church so that it can speak to all people of whatever political or economic position without ostracizing anyone because of its involvement on one side or another, individuals can take an active role in and beside their neighbors. Individual Christians can be salty in different ways than the church as a whole can be. And it is this mixing in that the Lord Jesus is speaking about in our text. Unless you are an isolated hermit, and if you're here today or even listening this afternoon, you are not, then you are mixed in. There are co-workers, there are friends, there are family members, there are people around you that you are mixed in with. And when you use the name of the Lord that you bear as a mark on your head, when you confess Him, when you call upon Him, when you praise Him, then you are able to add flavor to all the places that He has put you, in every family that He has placed you in. And you will also hinder the spread of decay. You have a preserving function. In your position, the third commandment is very important. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Both with your words about God, your words to God, and also with your works as representatives of God, you can either cause people to recognize and to to praise the name of the Lord, or you can mislead people so that they are inclined to get the wrong impression about the Lord and maybe even blaspheme His name. Being salt of the earth people means recognizing the decay around you, caring about the people who are enslaved in it, and in a humble way engaging people where they are in their lives. And so we are encouraged again to think about our lives. We as Christians bearing the name of the Most High God are salt. And so what do people learn about the God you serve by the way that you speak and the way that you live, the way that you treat them? Do you see the impact that a quiet and godly life has on those around you? Do you see how God's Spirit in your heart makes you a blessing to your fellow church members, your children, your wife, your husband, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbor, whoever else you meet along the way? When we realize that it is only when we are keeping in step with the Spirit that we are truly a blessing to others, we also realize that God's work in our lives comes with a responsibility. Do we understand our responsibility as those who bear the name of the Most High God? Only Christians can influence the earth with blessings that have eternal consequences. And it is this unique difference that our Lord Jesus addresses when he calls his disciples the light of the world. 
Jesus Christ told the group of followers who were listening to him that they and they alone, as followers of Christ, are the light of the world. And now the Lord Jesus uses a word for world that is notably different than the word used above. It's translated the earth. Because the world, the cosmos, includes a moral judgment that reminds us of the fallenness of creation under the curse. Although Christians are on the earth along with the rest of mankind, it's the place where we live, we are also in the world, a world that is suffering the consequences of the fall into sin. We are, we are equipped by God's power to reflect the name of the Lord as light in the darkness of this world. Even though we are mixed in as salt of the earth people, there will always be a distinction between God with his people and the world. And in this distinction, the church is the light and the world is the darkness. And Jesus said that to people like you and I who love him and follow him. Not the great and the famous, but the simple disciples. And so often, the message we hear in the world is exactly the opposite, the other way around. Christians who stand up for the truth of the gospel are typically called fundamentalist and extremist. Woke progressives who themselves are enslaved in the restricting tower of their own rules of language They are claiming to be the the light of the world even while they take a break from their virtue signaling babble to sneer at those Christians who live in darkness. And they refer to darkness as as clinging to patriotic traditional values, closed-minded language, ancient morals. World Christians are made out to be foolish, to be stuck in the dark ages. Because Christians refuse to replace the teaching of Scripture with the latest philosophy of the day. Now when the Son of God came to the world, it was several centuries after philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. He knew, he could have known of these men who appear to be a lot brighter than most philosophers and politicians of our day. But Jesus did not say those philosophers are the light of the world. Christ called the people who believed in him, who wanted to follow him, he called them the light of the world. And so we can see the picture. If Jesus had known Plato's neighbor, or if he knew the servant of the great Roman emperor of the day, He would have told him just as well to try and go and be a salty influence in those families. To bring some light into the darkness of their world. Knowing that we bear God's name on our heads that gives us a great confidence and a great responsibility. The confidence that we have comes from knowing that we are not our own but that we belong to Jesus Christ. We're members 
of His body. He is the head and we are the body. He is the true light that gives light to every person. And we are the light of the world because He gives us new life. Because He has called us out of darkness and into His wonderful light purely by grace. When we receive the blessing of the Lord, He places His name upon us and He equips us to carry this light of His glory and His wisdom and His power and His love in our hearts and to confess it with our mouth, confessing that He saves us from all our sins. And we bring this like light into the darkness. We see that it is a great blessing to be called the light of the world. It's a great encouragement also to all of us to to seek to grow brighter. We know that our light comes from the true light, Jesus Christ. We know that we can also grow brighter the more we study God's Word and listen to His voice and apply it in our lives. The more we love and behave like Christ Jesus, the more the, the brighter we will be. Now once again, Jesus' main focus is not on the fact that you are the light, but on how being a light influences our relationship to others. Like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, Christians cannot hide that they belong to Jesus Christ and that His Holy Spirit is dwelling in their hearts. And in this respect, the order of our Lord Jesus' teaching is important. For He only tells us that we are the light of the world after he tells us to be salt of the earth people. We are something by God's grace so that we can act as something. The light of the world is made up of salt of the earth people. And it is this difference from the world that allows us to be used by God to bring light into the darkness of the world. And we can see how God shows his love to creation by sending us into the world as lights. We can see that we ourselves as individuals, as children, as adults, as young people, we are instruments of God's love in the world. Imagine if you were lost in a dark cave. Imagine you were stuck in this cave and you didn't dare move because you were afraid of falling into a deep chasm. And if someone came into that cave with a light, you would rejoice in the fact that that person was different from you because the light was a blessing that helped you to see. A Christian's life is noticed just like A city on a hill is noticed, but it is noticed not because it makes things worse, but it is noticed because it is a good thing. And if this is God's purpose for placing, or since this is God's purpose for placing his name on your head, then it is sinful to break the third commandment, to block the light that is shining before others blaspheming or abusing the name of the Lord the way, by the way we speak in our catechism speaks of cursing or perjury or unnecessary oaths. All these ways of abusing the name of the Lord. 
rebelling against who he made you to be is working against the very purpose that, of your life. It's to cause harm to your neighbor's well-being instead of being a blessing. Sinning against the third commandment is not only a sin against God, but it is also a sin against your neighbor. For there is no one else in the world who is equipped to expose the deeds of darkness. There's no one else in all the world who is able to show the way to God's open, gracious arms, who, the, the God who receives sinners. If we are not proclaiming the name of the Lord, who else in the world will? If we are not shining in the darkness, who else can? Being the light of the world again comes with a responsibility that only Christians are able to fulfill. The Lord gave us the third commandment, and our Lord Jesus explained it further so that through our, your obedience, through your desire to serve Him, you might let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The goal of a godly Christian life is to work toward that day when you, together with all God's chosen people, might enjoy sweet fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And as we are fulfilling our task, we need to remember that many people are afraid of the light. John chapter 1, verse 5, and John 3, verse 19 speak of this. They're afraid of the light because people love their sins more than God. And if we love all people, we will understand why people are afraid of confession and repentance. We will be gentle in our shining. The offer of the gospel should certainly be well established before the floodlight of the Ten Commandments shines upon them. Otherwise, God's holiness and His perfection will only serve to paralyze and shock them like a deer caught in the headlights. And they will never hear the first part of God's revelation of His name to Moses. We read in Exodus 34 that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sin. So we're called to shine as lights in the darkness, but we're called to be sensitive light, sensitive to the fact that God is using you in this way to win your neighbor, to see the glory of the name of God. Not to, not to blind them, but to actually lead them so they can see. And in this way, you could shine even before you speak just by confessing His name together with other believers, by calling on Him in true faith no matter where you are, no matter who is around you. You, you pray to the Lord as you always do by praising Him at all times. And as others draw near to you in your regular life, perhaps they, they're wondering why you're praying to the Lord. Why you speak with such respect. Why you show such kindness to others. 
They wonder about this difference, and often it is before we even speak a single word. That's what happens when the light shines gently and falls upon them to help them to see. Now, there are different ways of letting our light shine before others, but just as the salt must be mixed in with the earth, so also the light must be connected with the world. To have an effect, the light needs to meet the darkness. And Jesus didn't say, let your light shine on the inside lining of a basket. He didn't just say, let your light shine in your own bubbles. But he, let, he commanded us to let our light shine so that it benefits others. If we are trying to hide that we are Christians, if we are trying to hide what Christ has done for us, if we are trying to hide our joy of, of being renewed, restored in Jesus Christ, if we are trying to hide a heart that is truly changed by the Lord, then we need to read our text and ask ourselves some very serious questions. We need to understand what it is we think of the truth. Can it really be that there is a light that doesn't want to shine? Is it really a light if it doesn't shine? Then we see that if we don't repent from the selfishness of keeping the light in the basket, we do not repent from that sin, and, and if we do not remove the baskets so that the light can shine out, well, then we do well to remember our Lord Jesus' warning to the church in Ephesus about removing the lampstand from its place. You see, brothers and sisters, we have been made salt and light. And the third commandment tells us to be who we are. You are made bright. You are made light in Jesus Christ. Your love for God and for your neighbor will show in the world. And by God's grace, it will lead them to praise the Lord. And may we go from this church building every Sunday again, like salt being poured out from an enormous salt shaker, or like the light streaming forth from an enormous lantern, allowing the blessings of the King of Kings to be known and experienced by everyone in the place where we live, in the place where we work, and that it may shine as a light in the darkness of the world. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven already. The name of God Almighty is upon your head, and His light shines through you into the darkness. And so we pray together, may we glorify the name of our God in all our words and our works. Amen.